Hey, this is Greg. And Zach. Welcome back to the Harvestgate podcast. This week, we continue our value series with a conversation about our fourth value, missionally minded. We'll explore what this idea of missionality is and how it will be at the forefront of our minds in all aspects of Harvestgate. Um, in light of uh, current COVID-19 pandemic, we are following the advice of the governor and health authorities and maintaining good social distancing practices, which is a lot to say that we're not together in our usual setup this morning, but recording uh, remotely. Um, so we hope you're all staying safe and healthy and hopefully uh, limiting your cabin fever a little bit when you can. Um, Zach, it's good to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be not there, I guess. <laughs> exactly. I got to say, uh, I'm not sure how today's going to go. I like, this is going to sound weird, but I like looking at your face and like when I'm talking <laughs> to you. And so right now I'm sitting in my daughter's room because it's the only quiet room in our house and I'm staring at a wall. And so I kind of feel like I'm talking to no one. So, um, and and just a, a quick note on this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I heard something the other day that I, I just it really resonated with. Um, I've heard lots of people say, well, we're all we're all in the same boat together. And while I understand the premise behind that, I think that um what somebody clarified, I think was a good uh clarification. He said, No, we're all in the same storm together. Some of us are in different but we're all in different boats uh, because some people are at a greater advantage during this time than others. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, some people are in a dinghy and some are in an aircraft carrier. Uh, weathering a storm in those two different uh, boats looks a lot different and the level of comfort is, is much different on those. Um, so, um, so we want you to know that we are all in the storm together, um, and maybe maybe this is an especially tough time for you, uh, but we want you to know that uh, we want to care for you best we can, um, and uh, that we trust and believe that God is in control, not only when the pandemic is over, uh, but here and now, and uh, He is he is here suffering along with us. So I guess that's kind of all I want to say about that for now, because we're so inundated with uh, coronavirus stuff that let's, let's just get on to missionality. How about that, Greg? Absolutely. I think it's a great idea. Um, So uh, when we were working on kind of preparing this podcast and talking about uh, missionally minded, uh, I found something interesting, which is sort of in documenting my notes, autocorrect doesn't think that missionally is a word. Uh, so talk me through sort of where we got missionally minded from and maybe define just what it means. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've I just recently finished my master's degree and I talked a lot about missionality in many of the papers that I wrote and I had the same frustration. Like I, I know that this is a world word because uh, everybody, uh, all the conversations that I'm having in the church world are all about mission and missionality and living missionally. Um, and so every time I'd write a paper, I'd always get frustrated about that red squiggly line under the word 
missionally or missionally mind or missionality rather. Um, but uh, to to understand the word, uh, you know, it's essentially putting. Um, oh, I, I'm so bad with English. Uh, <laughs> clearly, uh, I, I'm so bad with you know knowing you know is this a verb or a noun? Like I, I know the basic pr- principles, but when you get into the summer deeper things, but um, essentially, missionality is a way to say that mission is not just a noun. It's not just a person, place, or thing, uh, but it is a verb that we need to engage in. And so missional would be the verb, I think. That's correct. Yeah, Um, uh, and so I'll I'll assist on the grammatical side because I don't know the definition, but I think we're talking about an adverb, right, where it's an action uh, verb that, but it's also describing something. So you're doing both. It's a, an action with a purpose sort of thing. Absolutely. Thank you, Greg, because I'm tired this morning and my brain, <laughs> I couldn't even come up with the word English grammar. Well, um, as you know, Emily is the numbers person around here and I am the the wordsmith. So, you know, when, when we're looking at a budget, it's a hundred percent her wheelhouse. And when we're looking at a paper and how to craft a message or something, uh, that's my job. So, yeah. So, so missionally, uh, or missionality is the adverb. Thank you, Greg. Um, for the noun mission. Um, and this largely stems from, um, an understanding of who God is in the book of Genesis in chapter two, Actually, verses uh, chapter one, verses twenty six and twenty seven. Mm-hmm. What we learn is that uh, man, uh, and when I say man, I mean mankind. Um, mankind was made in the image of God, and this is an important word within the missional conversation, so to speak. Man was made in the image of God, and so we would say. Uh, theologically maybe the words that we use are uh imago day this is the image of god imago image uh god day um so we are made in the imago day and one of the things that we understand is that god is a god of mission um maybe another way we would say this is that god is a missionary god that he is continually being sent. And what we might say is that uh, God the Father sends God the Son. Uh, God the Father and God the Son send the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit sends us the church. And so if we view and understand God as a missionary God, and we understand that we, uh, as humanity, as you know, as his created children, are made in his image. Then we ought to reflect the same uh, missionary kind of uh, characteristic that that God Himself displays. So when we talk about missionality. 
what we are talking about is living out the mission of God as we live into this idea of being made in the image of God. Uh, so uh, in Scripture, it says that that the church is the visible image of the invisible God. So when we live on mission, we are putting flesh to God, essentially, if that makes sense. Um, mm. So when we talk about living missionally, we're talking about living out the mission of God. So what is the mission of God? Well, when Jesus comes, Jesus says, um, for the Son of Man uh, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, Jesus also says that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so we kind of have this, this dynamic, and I think that we've talked about this in previous podcasts, Greg, uh, where we've talked about two models or philosophies of church. One is called the attractional church, mm-hmm. and one is called the missional church. We we believe uh, the theologically correct one that we're supposed to be doing is being a missional church. Uh, now, attractional churches are essentially churches that they're they're, and I don't think that they would ever say this, uh, because honestly, when I first learned about the missional conversation, I was deeply offended, um, because so much of our paradigm of church uh, in the 21st century is centered on how do we get people to come to us. Yeah, I it's mean, it's going to feel like the opposite of what you've been doing, right? Yes, uh, and so I, I would, like I said, I was, I was really offended. I was like, "Who do these guys think that they are?" And and now, <laughs> uh, now those people that uh, that I first really engaged in the idea of mission with, uh, and, and this was through books and seminars and uh, podcasts and you know just watching videos of them. Uh, these people that deeply, deeply offended me uh, have become some of the people that I look to the most um, because they have been uh, the most paradigm-shifting voices in my life. And so the attractional church is basically how do we get people to come to us so that we can uh, you know, invite them into our churches and into our services and, uh, and again, we want people to come. We've talked about this in uh, one of our other podcasts about some of the metrics that we have. It's it's not a bad thing to want people to come and to be a part, but when that's our primary metric, it causes this attractional philosophy that we we kind of fall into. Now, the other side, the other type of church that there is, or the other philosophy of church, is um, this idea that we're talking about is that's the missional church. Mm-hmm. And so how, how are we as a church participating in the mission of God, uh, by going to where the people are building relationships. I think we talked about this before, um, in being community oriented, uh, Hugh Halter talked about these five words, 
uh, incarnation, reputation, conversation, confrontation, and transformation. And uh, the idea of being missional really plays into these, these words, that when we engage people in relationship, that means that we can't just sit back on our, on our haunches and wait for people to come to us. There was a time where, uh, Greg, let's say you were uh, not necessarily very spiritual or anything like that. You, you're not very religious, mm-hmm. uh, but you're going through a rough time in life. There was a time, even, fi- yeah, even 15, <laughs> 20 years ago, where yeah. it's like, well, I know that the church is probably a place where I can go to at least find some comfort or maybe find some answers or, you know. Yeah, or but, even just somebody to talk to, right? It's supposed to be a, a safe place to go and and confide in someone when nobody else would feel like uh, the person to do that with. Yeah, absolutely. And so that used to be the case. That is no longer the case. There's a lot of um, uh, just... There's just a lot of yucky feelings about the church uh, from... Uh, those who are not engaged in the church, even those who love Jesus, there's still, you know, there's, there's a distrust of organized religion. And yeah. so we, we need to have the, we essentially need to be the ones who are going forward and reaching out to those who are, uh, who are distrusting so that we can, hopefully change the narrative of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, and what it means to be the church. And I think that it kind of, when I said, I said that phrase just now, be the church, a lot of times, uh, again, no church would ever, I don't think would admit this, but church is not a place that you go necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can, we can use it in that way. We can use it as a but church is really a verb. It's who, it's what we do. It's uh, it's who we are. And um, I mean, this. I know we said we don't want to talk about this too much, but the COVID nineteen pandemic has proved this. Uh, churches all around the globe now are not able to meet in their buildings, and yeah. so. Yeah, the your church, church is, included that you're that you're still working at. Yes, uh, but the church is still alive and well. In fact, last Sunday when we were streaming our service, um, the the reception—I don't know—that's not the right word. The like, there's lots of buffering that was happening. It was so mm-hmm. frustrating for people. And essentially, what happened was that the church broke the internet. Not. Our church specifically, but the big C church broke the internet because so many people were online streaming that uh, it like caused a big traffic jam. But the point is, is we didn't have to gather in a building to be the church. I have seen uh, since this pandemic, I've seen so many beautiful things come from the church. Uh, You know, I see things that we should have been doing all along. We're realizing, oh, uh, maybe we should start actually doing these things, you know, like neighbors helping neighbors and, uh, hey, I'm getting ready to run to the grocery store. Do, can I get anything for you while I'm there? 
Um, uh, you know, people are going and we're just longing for relationship. Uh, Greg, you and I have played disc golf. Uh, you and I have played uh, more in the last week than I have played in the last two or three years. Um, yeah, and I should point out it's a, a very uh, suitable socially distant activity <laughs> where you can be outside and and not, uh, you know, you can be with other people without being. Um, uh, you can keep your six feet. Yeah, distance. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, uh, I heard our, our we had a general superintendent for the Wesleyan Church. Her name is Dr. Joanne Lyon. Uh, she is a phenomenal, wonderful woman. Uh, but she, remember a couple of years ago, Greg, there was uh, like a revolution that was happening in Venezuela. Yeah. And yeah. Yes. Uh, so th- there is essentially like this big mass exodus uh, from uh, from Venezuela, from Venezuela, because the socio-political uh, climate was really dangerous, and so yeah. people were trying to seek um, refugee and asylum status, and uh, it was it was just kind of a, a crazy time for them. And I remember she had said, you know, the church uh, has we are called to be missionaries to go and make disciples. But we weren't doing our job, and so God started sending them to us, and they became their own missionaries. <laughs> and I think the point of the missional church is that we don't have to wait for things to get so bad that people have to start coming to us, but rather that we're meeting people in the good times and the bad times, and that we're building relationships and building bridges, and essentially just being people of peace. Um in in times of both plenty and want, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. And it it you know, I we've talked a lot about my feelings toward, you know, church at large, or like you've talked about the big C church, like institutional church. And and I don't it's not that I just have a dislike for church in general, but it makes me feel uncomfortable. And I don't know that even in you know, my darkest hour or something that I would feel comfortable going to a church and seeking out help. Cause I think, you know, it's one thing to know that something is there to help you. And it's something else to like, you know, you have to acknowledge that you need help. You have to take the action to go there. And if we can be, you know, meeting people where they are, maybe before they're ready to say, Oh, I need help or I need, you know, this or something, I think, uh, you're going to find people that are more receptive, that are more comfortable talking about the challenges that they're having in their space instead of coming into someone else's space, um, or coming into an unknown place, a place they don't know. So excuse me. Absolutely. Well, that's why we, like I said, we're, we're made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And if Jesus, the, the, the God who breathes out stars, if he humbles himself to the point where he comes and says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, 
if we as finite, broken humans can't humble ourselves, then we are not doing a good job at reflecting the nature and character of who God is. And we essentially what has happened is we become so self-centered that what we do is we uh, we paint a really picture or a really ugly picture of who God is. You know, Voltaire uh, was a uh, he was a big critic of Christianity. Um, and I can't remember what centuries he lived in, 18, 17, 16, somewhere in there. You know, a 300-year period, you know, not that big of a time frame that I can't remember right now. Uh, but Voltaire was a, a big critic of Christianity. And he he made this statement, and, and I can't shake it. He said, God made man in his own image. But because man was a gentleman, he returned the favor. And essentially what he means is, you know, we're, we're made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. But, but so often what we end up doing is we essentially reinvent who God is in our image. So uh, because we are violent, God must be violent. Because we are selfish, God must be selfish. Because we are, uh, you know, you know, whatever the case may be. Because we're greedy, God must be greedy, right? And and so essentially, what we do when we don't serve and we look out only for number one, uh, we create this. You know, what makes you any different than every other Joe Schmo? You're just a bunch of hypocrites. But when we actually serve, when we come and seek and save, uh, for the for lack of better words, when we do these things, we we show that. I think that what we do is we paint a more accurate picture of who Jesus is, and I think that that is largely where we have gone askew, is because. Uh, we we bear his name. We are Christians, Christians, um, but we've done a really job, a really poor job at reflecting his character and nature. So missionality is essentially just this idea of properly reflecting uh, who God is and what his character and nature is. How does uh, missionally minded, or or you know, as we're talking about this value? You know, if we're being missionally minded, I think it implies that we have a specific mission, right? So, you know, can you sort of clearly define what is the mission of Harvest Gate? Because I know this is going to tie back into our mission statement and then how we're uh, being mindful of that in everything that we're doing. Yeah. Well, so we, we had our our podcast where we talked about our mission statement, and that is connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces. Mm-hmm. And that's a really broad and general way of saying, you know, our faith should inform everything that we do in every aspect of life and every domain of life. Um, and so when I talk about the mission of God on, on a very practical level, 
what that means for me is that I need to really learn who Jesus is. Not what society says Jesus is, not what left-wing or right-wing Christians say Jesus is, not what my own gut feeling is, but who, like what is what does the Bible say about the life uh, and teachings of Jesus? And I can say that uh, unequivocally that as I have, you know, it was probably two or three years ago, and I think I shared this at another point uh, in our podcast, but I had this revelation where I felt like God, God spoke to me and said, you've become so institutionalized that you've been trying to win people to church and not to me. And it that set me on a on a course where I first of all I I fell in love with Jesus in a way that I had not before, but it also got me digging into who Jesus is and what does the Bible actually say about him? What do what does his life and teachings represent of him? And I did not realize until I actually like put aside all of my preconceived notions uh, what that said uh, or that that painted a huge image of of what I thought about Jesus. Um, and it goes back to that Voltaire statement uh, that I ended up painting a picture of of God that was really in my image, not of, uh, of his actual image. You know, it's like, if you go, if you go anywhere, um, in the world, when you see people's paintings of Jesus, like in America, Jesus, a lot of times, uh, the majority of the times is white. He has blonde hair, blue eyes, and, uh, he's very, uh, Aryan in the way that he looks. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like, well, Jesus lived in the Middle East and he was a Jew. Uh, I don't think that he looked like a blonde haired, blue eyed, uh, white dude. <laughs> like, um, again, just another, you know, and if you go uh, places in Africa, uh, Jesus is often black. Uh, and if you go places in Asia, uh, he is often Asian. And I, I think that there's a point where like, there's some beauty in this in that we can all, what we all see ourselves in God's image, but what, and, and that maybe is just a, a, a playful way to say that a, a playful way to point out that we actually do make God in our own image rather than making him out as he actually probably is. Not just talking about physical appearances, but what are the ways that we do this internally, uh, kind of without thinking about it? Um, what what stories are we living by that inform our view and understanding of Jesus? So nothing for me has uh, has changed my uh, like I would say that my politics have changed in light of what I understand about Jesus and um, my. Uh, my views on uh, economics have changed. My views on 
political platforms has changed. My views on life and death has changed. My views on uh, judgment have changed. My views on mercy and forgiveness have changed. My views on how to treat my neighbors have changed. Uh, my views on who is my neighbor has changed. My views on uh, immigration have changed. My views on uh, issues of gun control have changed. My issues on um, just uh, on poverty have changed. Nothing, uh, nothing that I have come across in life has have changed my views uh of like every domain of life as much as jesus has so craig or, craig i just called you craig so greg um uh, uh, not the first time that's ever happened to me yeah i'm sorry <laughs> in fairness i i do serve at uh, our church uh with a pastor craig and so i'm frequently saying his name uh so yeah, i also know that so it's easily forgiven <laughs> Yeah, so I, I apologize for calling you Craig. Um, um, so, Greg, the I mean, what is the mission of the mission of God? What does it li- mean to live missionally within Harvestgate? Mean, I mean, we could be as specific as needed, or we can be as general as needed. But I think that the the same the same thing applies. Is what would uh, you know, maybe this isn't a great term to use because it's been uh, way, way watered down, but like, not what would Jesus do, but how would Jesus respond in everyday situation? How would, uh, you know, as as my neighbor, you know, their front porch is caving in, how would I treat that neighbor? How would Jesus treat that neighbor? Would he just say, well, that sucks, dude, and just move on? Or would he actually go over and help, uh, you know, uh, help rebuild where he can? Would he, uh, you know, bring, would he be a person of peace in that time? Or would he just go lock himself inside so he doesn't have to deal with his, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, I don't know, maybe the best way to say it is that uh, we want to live in such a way that we're listening to the Holy Spirit as opportunities present themselves. So a prayer that I pray very frequently, um, I journal this probably at least once or twice a week, and I pray it probably, you know, much more than that. But I pray something along these lines. God, give me the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the hands to serve, the feet to go, and the heart to be transformed. Allow me to hear and listen to your spirit so that as these opportunities present themselves, that I will act according to your mission and to your purpose. And so, uh, you know, I think we've talked about before, you know, what, what, uh, how do we engage in the community? Well, it could be any number of ways. We don't want to just go in and say, hey, we have all to your problems. Um, And some of that takes literally just going in and listening, listening to what the needs are and then responding to those needs. 
rather than going in and saying, here's all the problems you have and here are the solutions that we have brought to you. Right. Um, I, I wish that it was that easy. And, you know, that is often a way that many people go about planting churches. And the heart behind it's good. I don't want to say it's a bad heart. But my, my maybe challenge would be to those people, what if, we, what if we actually believed that those who are in the situations themselves have the, have the intellect, they have the ability to pull themselves um, uh, or, or to find solutions for these things on their own, and we can just come alongside of them and support them or maybe resource them or pray for them or maybe even just this, maybe just love them through it without any judgment or any kind of, you know, well, like, you know, we've talked about this before, Greg, uh, I will love you uh, as long as you start believing what I believe. Um, what if we got rid of that and say, I'm just going to love you regardless. Uh, and yeah. I'm going like, my heart's going to break when your heart's broken and my heart's going to rejoice when you're rejoicing. Uh, I'm going to weep when you weep. And I think that when we do that, we actually reflect the nature and character of Jesus very well. You know, even in even in the midst of uh, this pandemic, um, I personally do not believe that God is the one causing these things. And we can get into a whole uh, theological conversation about this, and it's not my point to. But <laughs> people may ask the question, well, where is God in all of this? Couldn't he just snap his fingers and it all go away? And um and the answer is, I mean, he could, but he also set an order of things. Um, you know, like we live with a Newtonian understanding of physics. You know, like I, I, I believe very much. I have faith that when you know, I'm sitting here, that I'm not just going to float up and like hit the ceiling because there's gravity. Um, yeah. You know, so so like there are things that happen and operate in the world that. Um, you know, the way that, uh, the way that the, the design is, uh, you know, if you don't wash your hands and, uh, you sneeze on people, like you're going to pass on that. Uh, I saw a meme. It said, uh, it was like Jesus knocking on the door and it said, Hey, Karen, um, would you please stop saying that God has us all in control? Like I do, but I still need you to wash your hands and not keep keep social distancing practices that's um yeah exactly but my, yeah um but to my like the point that i'm trying to make here is is god is not just off in the distance i don't think that this is god like uh, like sending lightning bolts down on people rather i think that god is here suffering with us Sorry for the interruption. This is Greg. Due to a technical issue during our remote recording, Zach's audio from this section was lost. Uh, this is what he said. God, through Jesus, displays this solidarity with people in the midst of suffering. In Matthew 25, Jesus says to his disciples, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the disciples responded, Lord, when did you, uh, when did we see you naked and clothe you? And when were you thirsty and we gave you drink? And when were you hungry and we fed you? And when were you in prison? 
And Jesus says, when you've done it for the least of these, you've done it for me. So standing in solidarity with the marginalized is a way that God presents himself. This is the way that he enters into our suffering with us. In fact, Jesus was a convicted felon who died via death penalty. And this is how he chooses to identify who he is. He says, I stand in the midst of your suffering, understanding it because I have suffered. And now back to Zach. So he does notice we, he doesn't say, listen, when, uh, when you serve uh, those who are in the prisons, um, like you find me in you, like as the one who is serving. Uh, no, it's actually the one <laughs> it's, it's those who are in prison that he identifies with. When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it for me. Um, and so I, I, I really believe that Jesus is here suffering with us. And for me, that brings comfort that we serve a God who loves us so much that he's willing to step out of his place of glory and, uh, and, and divinity into our mess of a world and to say, I stand here in solidarity with you. So what does it mean to be missional? It means that we stand in solidarity with people in the midst of their suffering. Um, and sometimes that means that we can alleviate some of that suffering. Um, mm-hmm. For example, uh, here in Newark, um, just last week, there was uh, some major flooding that happened and people's homes were just completely like they were flooded. Um um, and there, there's, uh, there's a, a woman who, whose, whose house was essentially ruined. Um, and one of the gifts that I have received through being, uh, on quarantine is I now have lots of time where I can go and serve. And so, uh, myself and, you know, a few other people are going to go help with the cleaning process, right? You know, we I can't go and buy her a new home, but I can go help uh, maybe alleviate some of the suffering. And I, and so I don't say that to say, look at all these wonderful things that I no, but these these are just things that the church should be doing in general to help stand in solidarity with people as they are suffering, to ease suffering when we have the ability to do so, and also just to love people in the midst of life, whether it's in good seasons or in bad seasons or in just ordinary humdrum, you know, everyday life kind of scenarios. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you did a really good job of just kind of comparing and applying the concept of, uh, missionality and being missionally minded to, uh, to current events, to what's going on, to different, uh, you know, types of church. And so I'm thankful to have that kind of clearly explained and defined. And, you know, in general, we hope this conversation sheds some light on our mission, on what it means to us to be missionally minded, and how we hope that influences Harvestgate and the people that are going to be connected to us and working with us. Um, We also hope that uh, you that are listening and your loved ones are staying safe and healthy through these challenging times. Um, but <clears throat> excuse me, thank you for joining us. Uh, Zach, thanks again for your insight and guidance on all things Harvestgate. It's been great to talk about today. 
Yeah, Greg, would you mind if I if I just close with a time of prayer for all of uh, for just this pandemic in general? Certainly. All right, Father, we come to you today. Um, in a, in a world of chaos, like we as a generation have never seen before. Maybe the closest thing that we've ever come to is 9-11. A horrible, horrible uh, tragedy. Uh, but this has hit us on a global level. And not that this has hit us on a global level where it seems like every person is affected. And so, Lord, we want to come to you today asking that we would be the hands, the feet, and the heart of you. We pray, Father, that you would uh, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, the hands to serve and the feet to go and the heart to be transformed, that we would have ears attuned to you to stand in solidarity with those who are suffering. And Lord, as we said earlier, we're all in the same storm together, but we're all in different boats. And so for those, Lord, who are in a boat of uh, maybe more suffering than others, for those who have lost their jobs or who have lost loved ones due to this virus or who themselves are infected, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would bring peace that surpasses all knowledge and understanding. For those of us uh, who have been affected, but maybe not to the same degree, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would, uh, that you would teach us empathy. Uh, and that you would teach us long-suffering in the midst of this, that uh, we can always be thankful and grateful uh, that for the things that we have. I know many people uh, who have experienced horrible things, and their response is generally, well, I don't have it as bad as some others, and so for that I'm grateful. Lord, may we have that same attitude, and may uh, you bless and give um, uh, capacity and understanding and wisdom and knowledge and discernment to all of the medical staff, all of the researchers who are uh, searching for a cure, for uh, the those who are on the front line, uh, for all of those who are still working. May you give them peace and blessing. We thank you, Lord, and we love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for your time today, Zach. It's been fun. Follow us on social media at Harvestgate Network. There are several ways you can engage with us and support the Harvestgate Network at harvestgate.org. You can subscribe to the Harvestgate podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you're as excited as we are about this project, please consider supporting us by sharing, joining our prayer team, or donating on our website. Thanks for listening to the Harvestgate podcast, connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces.